What's up, everyone? This is Sam Brief. This is the Mental Game Podcast, and it's part two a year later with Matt Fitzgerald. I invited him back because our first podcast back in March 2021 was one of those podcasts where I have so much in my head that I want to ask him, and I get to like one-tenth of it. So I had to have him back, and luckily he joined me for part two. And Matt Fitzgerald, for those of you who might have missed part one, which again was in March if you want to go back into the archives and listen, he is so many things. He's an author and a really good one. He's a trainer. He's a coach. He's a nutritionist. He's a runner, a voracious runner, and he's amazing. I read two of his books around this time last year, The Comeback Quotient and How Bad Do You Want It? And it taught me a lot about endurance sports and running, but it really taught me a lot about mental health in sports and a lot about philosophy and how to live life. It's fascinating, the things that Matt Fitzgerald writes about. He's smart. He knows a lot of things, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Now, the other thing that Matt brings to this podcast is his experience in the last year with long COVID, which has been really undercovered since the pandemic started. But he got COVID and is still dealing with after effects, everything from cognitive fuzziness and anxiety to not being able to run, right? The physical symptoms of long COVID are getting to him. And for someone like Matt, who, like I said, is a voracious runner, that's tough. So Matt details his journey. He details his new book, Run Like a Pro, Even If You're Slow. And we talk shop on everything from nutrition to genetics to, of course, mental health. So without further ado, it's part two with Matt Fitzgerald. I'm so glad I didn't wear out my welcome in the, the first interview. Great to be back. There's something to be said for a repeat. You know, no one does a crappy podcast with someone and ask them back. So right. I guess that's Unless actually they're really desperate. Louder. And I'm, I'm glad to know you're not that desperate. Oh, yeah. I'm so <laughs> desperate. I did a really crappy interview with you. You bored me and my audience. And I want more. Please, sir, All right. can I have some more? All right, let's do it. Well, Matt, it, it's great to have you on. You're someone who really unlocked something different in me. This was right around when I started this podcast. I also just sort of coincidentally got into running. I also coincidentally got into sports psychology, which is why I started the mental game. And the perfect marriage of those was picking up a couple of your books, Comeback Quotient, How Bad Do You Want It? And I was really honored to bring you on. I was like, okay, I read all these cool books. Now I get to pick your brain, and it was super fascinating learning from you about what everyone can learn from these high-level comebacks, these high-level runners, and what they do. And now you're coming on a year later, and you, Matt, have gone through your own personal journey. So if you wouldn't mind updating me on where you're at, I'm curious, through the lens of this, how has your mental game been challenged over the last year? Yes, uh, like never before, honestly. Um, so yeah, when I uh, when I was uh, putting the finishing touches on the comeback quotient, you know, I had I, I was uh, an early adopter for for getting the coronavirus. I, I got it in late February of two thousand. Um, so before things shut down, 
Um, I got it. I was very, very sick for a month, recovered. So I thought, uh, returned to, you know, training for running. Uh, and, uh, but then started to unravel and ended up figuring out that I had this, you know, brand new chronic illness, um, that affects, you know, a fraction, an unlucky fraction of those who, who contract and recover from COVID-19, you know, they're calling it colloquially, uh, long COVID, which is very similar. If you know someone with chronic fatigue syndrome, it's basically that, um, but it's life altering, especially if you're, you know, an an endurance athlete, as I was, and I use the past tense because I I haven't been able to run in 15 months uh, now. So yeah, I have, uh, you know, it, uh, it affects me every day. Um, It it affects my, you know, my body, my brain. Um, And yeah, but you know, know, all that training, uh, you know, as an endurance athlete, especially someone with, you know, an interest in the psychological dimension, of uh endurance sports and really sports in general you know that those that's my toolkit so you know a point that i make in a lot of my writing is that you only have one mental toolkit and you apply it to relationships to work uh to health challenges to sports you know you you have one brain and and what you see is what you get so yeah i've been dealing with it uh the way an endurance athlete would which is you know, for better and for worse, for example, you know, I have an incredibly high tolerance for misery. <laughs> you know, misery is, was my, that was my metier for a long time. But actually, I, I have found that that is both an advantage and a disadvantage when I'm experiencing a lot of health-related misery because uh, I, you know, I can keep functioning, you know, despite feeling terrible, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm less, um, I'm less likely to reach out for help uh, than a lot of other people. Cause I've networked with the long haulers where they're like, Oh, you know, I've, you know, I've gone to this clinic and that clinic and I've signed up for this clinical trial. I'm like, Oh man, I'm just kind of muddling through. <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I should get some more help. So yeah. Interesting. Huh, that sort of reminds me, Matt, about people who have a condition more severe in that they don't even experience pain. And children who grow up with this condition where they just don't have the sensation to experience pain end up getting into all sorts of serious injury, right? They'll Mm -hmm. touch a stove and burn themselves and not even feel it, for example. And these types of people, they often die really young. Yep. So what you're telling me, you don't necessarily have that. That's the extreme version. (laughs) But you don't ask for help as much because you have such a high tolerance for misery. I'm curious where in your background you think that comes from, or, or is it just baked into you, DNA? You know, it's really not baked into me. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, my dad, I'm, I'm kind of a, a chip off the old black in a lot of ways. My, I, my dad is a writer. Uh, I got the writing from him, and my dad uh, was, you know, kind of an endurance guy. He was a Navy SEAL back in Vietnam. He did these crazy solo open water long-distance swims, um, when he was in his late teens, early twenties. Wow. I see where you get it from. Yeah, exactly. But you know, funny enough. So yeah, I started running because of him. You know, he ran his first marathon in 1983. I started running long distance two days later, um, you know, wanting to be like him. But the thing I discovered was that I actually had, I, I felt that my mental game was actually my weakness as a high school runner. I was one of the best runners in my state. Um, but I could just tell, you know, when I was like, 
you know, when I rose to the highest level where it was the difference between winning a state state title and just being all state, um, I just didn't have that. I didn't want it as bad. I wasn't willing to d- dig as deep as some of these, yeah, as my peers in, in physical talent were. Um, and I ended up actually kind of burning out and, and walking away from uh, running for several years because I felt like, I, man, I just don't have that ingredient. And then uh, through just, you know, a series of coincidences, I got back into it in my you know, late twenties. And at that point I had, I felt like I had a monkey on my back. I, I didn't want to just make up for lost time and, and realize the potential I had failed to realize as a, as a teenager, but I wanted to change how I saw myself as a man. Like I, I, I didn't, I, I saw myself, I, I called myself a coward at the time I quit running. Uh, at 17 and I did, I wanted to change that. And so that, and it didn't happen overnight, but it was a very explicit and conscious agenda. Uh, Like I wanted to, so I was not born with it. And and, and something you see in the things I I write about is, you know, when I tell people, listen, like you, no matter where your starting point is, you know, with your mental game as an athlete, you can, you can, evolve like you can get to that that champion's mindset because i did it (laughs) um so yeah not baked in for me for sure it was learned well running is such a fascinating incubation setting for these types of lessons because a guy like me can run i'm many rungs down on the ladder from you in terms of running ability i've never run a marathon the longest i've run was a 5k event but i run almost every day and i think i'm better than the average person at it but then you've got people up to your level and people up to lu to keep choge's level which is goat level right so it's fascinating to look at it like that what do you think a normal person can learn from the struggles that a runner goes through and i see a lot of that too matt in the struggles you've gone with long COVID over the last year? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, mental fitness, as, as I prefer to call it, because um, it's it's more encompassing than mental toughness. Toughness is only part of, of mental fitness. You know, men, mental fitness is kind of a great equalizer in that it, it is distinct from f- physical gifts. Um, so, you know, there's, there's no reason that, you know, someone toward the, you know, toward the back of the pack in terms of physical ability can't be the mentally fittest person in a race or, or any other competition. So, you know, I mean, talk about baked in, like your genes are baked in, like <laughs> that's what you have to work with. And, you know, to, to a certain Until extent, science I'm, really makes right. some developments, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and we are on the cusp of that. But that's 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 a topic for maybe uh, interview three with. <laughs> no, that's like interview five. Come on. Okay, fine. Um, yeah, so so you know, that's the way I looked at it as well. I would I would I would have loved to have you know Olympic potential as a runner. I didn't, uh, but that didn't ruin it for me. I felt like well, there's these other these other levers that I can pull, uh, you know, to to maximize what you know God gave me. So. Um, that's the way I would encourage anyone to look at um, their mind, you know, th- you know this, this concept of neuroplasticity, like your, your brain is the most moldable, moldable organ in your body, like you can do 
it, it can be hard to change and evolve your mind, but there is so much, every single one of us has a, a tremendous potential to evolve our, our, you know, the way we think, the way we emote um, for the better. So just, you know, get a vision for where you want to get to and chances are you can get there uh, if you work at it and have some guidance. Where's the importance of that guidance come in? Because so many people don't have guidance, but then again, nowadays there's guidance everywhere. I mean, it can be guidance paralysis in a way, because if I want to become a master chef, oh, well, I can take a class on master class. I can watch master chef and just try and copy them. I can buy all these books. I can go to a class, but then again, it's sort of paralysis. So when someone's trying to get better at something and Matt, I think you're an expert on this because again, running is that amazing incubation setting for so many things. How do you sift through all the guidance to get the guidance? If you know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. And it's a great question. Um, you know, the way I look at it is like, you know, obviously we can't all be experts, uh, but we do all sort of have to be experts in choosing experts to listen to, you know, because you, you know, take something like an analogy, like, you know, diet and weight loss. Um, and, and think about like all the different opinions out there and, and the noise and, you know, information overload. You know, if you're someone who, you know, wants to clean up your diet and, and lose weight or just get healthier, live longer, whatever, you know, you, you know, you have to, you have to make a good judgment about whose advice to listen to. And that part is really on you. You don't have to be the expert who knows everything the expert knows, but you do have to be, you have to um, have a good BS detector. Um, and, and, you know, there's only so much the experts themselves can do about that. You know, there is a responsibility that, that is on the individual. The good news is, you know, there's research, you know, because I'm also a sports nutritionist. I've written about this. Like, you know, the same people who fail with diets are also the people who succeed with diets, by which I mean, if you look at someone who just, you know, eventually it all clicks and they lose a bunch of weight and they're happy the way they eat and they're healthy and they live long. That person, if you look in their history, probably failed on five or six diets before they succeeded. So, like, you can do it, and you might have to bump your head a, a few times. You know, for me, what, you know, writing about, you know, sports psychology, you know, I just, I, I try to, I almost, I almost take the approach of a trial attorney, where it's like the art of persuasion. Um, and I, I, I'm shameless. Like, like, I lean heavily on science, but I will... I will be very selective on like which study I do talk about and which study I don't, um, and and how I and I will I will use a lot of other tools too because, you know, what I'm really trying to do is I'm not trying to necessarily be the the most correct person, but I am trying to change you, and uh, there's an art to that. So I'm trying to be that guy who, you know, when you read something I've written, you're like, you know what this guy passes the BS test <laughs> with me. And, and so there's like, there's, ins there's information, but there's also inspiration. Like, you know, I want people to put down how bad you want it and just be fired up <laughs> to get after it the next day. So, you know, well-informed, but also fired up, uh, you know, to, to change their trajectory as an athlete. No, not fired up. 
fired up. Right. You have to shout it. Hey, I'm going to go on a little tangent from what I intended on because you mentioned how you're a nutritionist and you allude to it a few times in your books. Do you hear that? You hear that cop out there? I'm wondering if, no, you didn't hear it. (laughs) There was a really loud police officer. You know, I was, I was on the phone the other day. I I live right here in downtown Chicago, right near LaSalle division, really busy intersection, heart of the city. So there's always fire trucks, ambulances, police cars going by. And I was on the phone with someone the other day. My window was open and it was super loud police car. And he heard it and he was like, oh, man, what's going on? And I said, yeah, I'm being arrested (laughs) as a joke. And he was like, oh, crap, really? Is everything okay? Like, what'd you do? I'm like, no, I'm not being arrested. I'm sitting on my couch, man. It's like, don't worry. It happens all the time. Yeah. but what does that say about me and my character and personality that <laughs> yeah, I made a yeah. joke about it? And he was like, oh, really? Eminently plausible. Yes, I guess. Whatever. Sam anyway, Bruce, the, the kind of guy who would get arrested. In the <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think I'm the least likely podcast host to be arrested <laughs> while doing this podcast. <laughs> we should do superlatives. <laughs> yes. Hey, so back to my tangent. I went on a tangent from my tangent. That's a new one. I should be arrested for that. But (laughs) you mentioned nutrition and there are so many ties between nutrition and mental health. And the added layer for you is nutrition for training, mostly for endurance athletes. So if you could distill it, what have you learned? Let's say the number one lesson, the headline lesson that you've learned about the tie between mental health and nutrition. It's a loaded one. Yes. I tell you what, um, I can't do one. I really can't. Okay. No, I, I don't want to box you into one. Yeah. As many. It's a, it, yeah. Uh, it, as like many my, my loyalty to the truth will not allow me. I, I, I can give you two. I can distill it to two, but not one. Um, so one, the one that is, is most often overlooked and, and kind of speaks to the spirit of your question is you, and actually I, I made a, a glancing sort of allusion to it uh, when, I, when I brought up nutrition, which is you have to be happy with your diet. Like I have, you know, I, I've traveled literally around the world, like studying the diets of elite athletes. And I have never once met an athlete who was, who felt that they were getting the greatest possible benefit that they could get out of nutrition over a long period of time and was not completely comfortable and content with their diet. It wasn't work for them. It was easy. They enjoyed it. It was just habit. They didn't feel like they were pushing a boulder uphill. And, and too, too often, I think people th- feel like they have to choose between like enjoying eating and eating healthy and, and uh, eating in a way that supports physical and, and mental health you don't have to make that choice. Now it is perfectly possible to eat in a way you enjoy that is not good for your health. And that's exactly why I can't distill it down to, <laughs> to one principle, but you know, you should, you should never lose sight of the fact that if, if, if your diet um, 
just feels onerous to you if there's like this, you know, this, you know, deprivation, sense of deprivation, um, like this, you know, this guilt and shame cycle, um, then it's not going to last. And if it's not going to last, you're not going to benefit from it in the long term. Number two, like, the, you know, the, the thing that I would say just on the, you know, the, the physiological side, you know, the biochemical side is that um, your diet should be unprocessed, you know, natural, natural foods, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the less processing you have in the foods you eat, uh, because, you know, there's more than one way. If you talk to any like legitimate mainstream ex expert on nutrition, they will tell you there's more than one way you can eat, uh, for physical and mental health. Um, so it's not that there's just, you have to be, you know, you have to be plant-based or you have to be keto or you have to be you know, omnivorous or whatever. You know, any of those things can work, but the, the, the one thing that has to be the through line in all of them is that it has to be a natural, unprocessed uh, diet. Natural, unprocessed, and you have to enjoy it. Now that you have to enjoy it is something that really zooms out to anything, right? If you're going to train for a marathon, you can't hate it or you're going to get burned out. Maybe you can get through one marathon, but you can't sustain that. If you're going to have a job that you hate, you're going to get burned out, right? So if you have a diet that you hate, I mean, think about how many times we eat multiple times a day. If you hate it and you're making yourself miserable, then it's going to be sort of a death spiral. So what do you say then to someone who does hate it? Change it. Um, you know, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, getting back to that, uh, that idea of like, you have to be an expert in choosing experts. You know, when I tell people, uh, when I, you know, counsel, you know, mainly athletes on the diet side, if you're going to, if you're going to meet, sit down with a dietitian or nutritionist to, you know, talk about ways to change your diet to achieve your goals, if they don't ask you a lot of questions about your habits, your preferences, your likes and dislikes, uh, you know, allergies and tolerances, everything that, that, that makes, because everyone eats the way they do now for a reason. Um, so, you know, like a bad nutrition, nutritionist will just, they won't, they don't care how you eat now. They don't care what, what culture you come from. They don't care, you know, if, you know, what you like, what you don't like. It's like, here's the diet. Good luck. <laughs> and, and so bon appetit. Yeah, exactly. You know, one size fits all, you know, if it doesn't work, it's your fault. Uh, for me, you know, my attitude is I want to change the least number of things possible to get you where you want to go, because I assume that you eat the way you do now because you like it. You know, that's the number one reason people eat the way they do currently. Is that, you know, it's I mean, broader than that familiarity, you know, cultural factors. So I, I try to preserve as much of that as possible and just change what needs to be changed. And if that's if it, I call it tweak, don't overhaul. Um, and so if that's the approach you take, you're more likely to like it. So yeah, yeah, you have to suck it up and make some changes, but you know, I mean, you know, I walk the talk, you know, the, the way I eat, thanks mostly to my, my wife's cooking, you know, it is very natural and, and unprocessed, but it's freaking delicious. Like I, 
you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a hedonist. I, I, I want my food to taste good. I want to take pleasure in the food I eat and I do. So you, like, again, you, you can have both. Um, it's just, you know, that, that initial habit changing part uh, can be tough, but you can, you can have it both ways. And that's an opportunity, right? For so many people, that's an opportunity. And the reason I brought this up to you on the mental game on a podcast that's about the mind and not about nutrition is it's a mental hurdle for so many people. I've been through my own journey with my nutrition and it affecting my mental health. And it goes both ways, right? What you eat affects your mind and your mind affects what you eat. And for everyone who doesn't eat well and is kind of sticking to the fast food and the, and the process stuff that you refer to, there are people who are maniacal and making themselves miserable. Frankly, I was in the latter category and I'm really happy that I've come to a healthy place and the physical health has led to the mental health. So it sort of goes both ways. Now, Matt, on the physical health affecting mental health, this is something you're learning a lot about now or experiencing a lot now with long COVID we, you and I sort of rekindled our correspondence a couple of weeks ago because I had Carrie Jackson on the podcast and mm -hmm. she's someone who both of us have worked with. She specializes in injury. And when I had Carrie on, we talked a lot about traditional injuries and, you know, the torn ACLs and recovering from those things. You're dealing with a non-traditional injury, an injury that five years ago, I would have said, what language is that long mm -hmm. COVID? What? But it's an injury, and it's meant that you can't run. What does that feel like? Yeah, um, another good question. Um, I congratulate you on your questions, Sam. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> You're bringing it. Um, yeah, bringing the know, heat. I think that you know there are two uh, you know separate factors. Like one is the deprivation of um and you know activities that you know i i wasn't just passionate about but i was addicted to <laughs> you know uh you know running for me was i mean it, it shoot i mean it was everything it was it was church for me you know like you know i needed it on on every level um but that you know it wasn't just you know that that you know obviously the term addiction of, of uh, connotes you know just negative but, but it was all positive for me um so yeah i would do i would you know do a little bit too much <laughs> but i mean it was like it was clearly you know my, my wife learned this she's she she learned to just hands off matt's running you know because like he he's clearly a better husband <laughs> when when he gets his his running fix. smart so, so there's that but there's also, you know, independent of that, it's just like, you know, I feel lousy all the time. You know, on a good day, I feel lousy. On a bad day, which actually most of today was, I am almost incapacitated. It, it, you know, it's just, it's like, it's the only thing going on in my world. Like, I, there's, there's nothing else happening. Like, consciousness and suffering are coextensive. Like suffering is consciousness and consciousness is suffering for me. And like, when you're in that state, like, what do you do? I mean, that is really hard to cope with, especially when it's open-ended. Like, 
19 months in, there are some long haulers who, God bless them, spontaneously recover or who try, you know, this, this treatment or that treatment, and it seems to work. But for me, like I'm, I'm not, I haven't gotten anywhere. So when it's open, like injuries, like an ACL, I've, I, I tore my ACL when I was 14 playing soccer and, you know, had surgery, you know, rehab, full recovery. Like, you know, what's coming, you know, it's going to get better for something like this. You don't know. You know, I just, I turned 51 yesterday. Like this could be oh, happy belated. Not, thank you. So, but this thing isn't killing me. So I could be looking, you know, possibly, I think probably not, but I possibly could be looking at decades of this kind of suffering. So quite apart from not being able to run, <laughs> you know, I, you know, don't get me wrong. If I, if I felt up to running, I would run, but I, like I would, I would gladly in a heartbeat, you know, take, a Faustian bargain of promising never to run again, just to feel, just to feel better, you know? So, so yeah, just like it takes everything you got when, when your life has become like a true bona fide living nightmare, um, everything you've got. So fortunately, if this had happened when I was 20 years younger, it probably would have been more than I could handle. Like, but I've, you know, I've, I've been hardened and wizened uh, through, through the years. So, you know, I, I've, I've been up to it to this point, but it's, it's the struggle of a lifetime. And I sympathize that you've gone through the struggle. I can't empathize with it because I haven't been through long COVID. I'm one of the lucky ones to have just had it and brushed it off. But I, while I do feel bad for everything you're experiencing, I'm inspired by your outlook. I think it's really, really awesome, this outlook that you have, Matt. Well, thanks. So, Matt, I'm someone who at times in my life has been a voracious Matt Fitzgerald reader. And I know now I have a reason to get back into it because you have a new book out. Can you tell me a little bit about Run Like a Pro, even if you're slow? Why should I read it? Well, I'm not the one to tell you you should read it, but... Well, I'm probably going <laughs> to. <laughs> Why but, will I enjoy it? Yes, there you go. Um, yeah, so uh, so f- coming up on five years ago, I had an amazing experience, kind of like a fantasy experience for, for any passionate runner, where um, I was 46 years old at the time, and, you know, I was... Uh, I'm a good runner or what was a good runner never was anywhere close to, as we discussed before, like going to the Olympics or being able to have a shoe contract, but I finagled my way, you know, given my, 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 uh, my role as a running journalist, I, I finagled my way into being an honorary member of a professional running team uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona for an entire summer. Um, at the end of that summer, I had the opportunity to compete in the Chicago Marathon, one of the, the, the five world marathon majors, um, as a professional. Yeah, sort of like they made an exception for me. And so uh, for anyone who's uh, familiar with um, George Plimpton's book or, or the movie that was made from the book Paper Lion, where George Plimpton did exactly the same thing. He was this just a feat, you know, patrician type writer dude who uh, was convinced the, the coach of the Detroit Lions to allow him to participate in a full uh, training camp. Um, this was back in the 60s when that was doable. It would never be doable today. Uh, but imagine. he wrote a book about it. Yes. 
So Although I wouldn't choose the Lions. I would never choose the Lions. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it took him two years to get one yes, even then in like 1962. Uh, so, yeah, he like, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So, right. Oh, well. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Maybe they were good then. Um, and there were only like eight teams then, anyway. So, uh, true. Anyway, Everyone was good. Right. So I wrote a book. It was basically my paper line about this experience called uh, Running the Dream. Um, but that, that, that book was entirely narrative. I just told the story of my experience as a quote-unquote fake professional runner for 13 weeks. But I knew that, you know, mostly it would be mostly other runners who read that book. And runners are very self-interested. Like, you know, yeah, they enjoyed reading about my experience, but they also wanted to know, like, well, how can I do that? So I knew, you know, I knew going in that I had to do two books, one where I just got to tell the story and another where I got to tell where I, you know, I, I pivoted to tell other runners like, okay, here's how you do, uh, you know, you know, without actually, you know, being able to also join this professional running team in Flagstaff, like here's how to train, eat, train your mind, recover, everything like a pro. So that's what that book is about. And for someone who might see this book on the shelf and say, I don't run. What would you say to them? Because I would think that anyone could read it. If you don't run, you should not read this book. Okay. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Well, you know what? I Uh, love an honest author. (laughs) <laughs> i mean it's it would be kind of pointless however um there's there is something there, there is a, you know a, a broader ethos um that that is embodied in, in the book that does transcend running um and that is you know like my orientation has always you know for me like i've always as an athlete like a lifelong athlete i have always had the highest respect for elite athletes, athletes who achieve the highest level, because I've always understood, even when I was a kid, that it wasn't just about winning the genetic lottery, that these are like special individuals. And it takes a whole lot more than inborn talent to get to that level. And and even more so to stay at the highest level. Um, And and so, like, you know, when I write about running and, and other sports, you know, my attitude is, like, these guys are the experts. You know, we, we tend, there's a tendency to, like, in this kind of, um, you know, dualistic Western culture of ours to think of athletes as dumb jocks. Like, oh, yeah, they've got the physical, but they're just a bunch of morons with, with talent. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. They, they are just like elites in any other field. Like it's, it's at least, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's like, you know, it's at least 51% mental to be elite in, in, in any sport. Um, and so, you know, as not just as a self-interested athlete myself, my orientation was, I understood this, like science is great and I do pay attention to science, but, but my first cues were always going to come from the real world, from the trenches, from the people who were actually winning the races. I wanted to, wanted to study what they were doing. Um, you know, 
on every level with training, with diet, with the mental game, with recovery, you know, soup to nuts. Um, so that's, that's just something that I deeply believe. And I feel that, you know, no, no matter what you want to be elite in, if it's running great, if it's another sport, if it's something outside of athletics, then, you know, the, the ethos that's embodied in, in the book that I've written uh, is relevant. Going back to the books that I've read and the ones that we talked about last time, I'm going to ask you something that was on my list and we had such a robust conversation that Matt, I didn't even get to it. And it's on the comeback quotient, which was all about these amazing comebacks, everything from runners who started in the back of a race and ended up winning the thing or a rugby player who lost his leg and turned out to be a better rugby player after the tragic accident than before. What comeback to you? It could be one you've studied. It could be one that you just sort of know about secondhand. What comeback to you is the most inspiring? I'm going to go with uh, Jamie Whitmore, uh, who um, back in the day, uh, she, she was a world champion in the sport of off-road triathlon. So this is, you know, triathlon is swim, bike, run, but off, you know, so off-road triathlon is uh, rough water swim, mountain bike, you know, versus road bike and trail run. So, you know, Jeannie Whitmore um, was, you know, uh, she, she had a, a really awesome uh, rivalry, um, kind of like uh, Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova <laughs> type of rivalry with a Canadian athlete, but she was, you know, the best in the world at what she did. And then she developed, she got cancer, like a rare form of uh, cancer. And it was one of those things that just, you know, you know, the surgeries required to, to save her life were almost worse than, you know, the cancer itself. And she ended up, um, you know, permanently disabled as a result of, of the cancer and the surgeries. Uh, but then, you know, just had this incredible resilience and, and you know, just that kind of a, a, a never quit attitude. And, you know, I, I in, in uh, the chapter in the comeback quotient where I tell her story, I, you know, I, it's, it's almost excruciating to read. You know, I give like a, just a painful blow by blow of what we went, she went through because I want people to understand, you know, um, you know, just how devastating it, it was, but she came out the other side of it and ended up becoming a world, a, a Paralympic gold medalist in cycling. Um, and to my knowledge, is the first person who was ever a world champion as an able-bodied athlete and a Paralympic champion as a disabled athlete in the same lifetime. Um, so yeah, when I'm asked versions of that question, I, I, I always come back to her story. It's just, it's just a matter of like, you know, she's, her example is the one I, I draw from the most personally when, uh, I'm a, I'm a big believer in what I call benign shaming, which is kind of the, like the, what's, what's your excuse mindset. Um, when I'm, when I'm inclined, when I'm, when I find myself veering toward a pity party or feeling sorry for myself because of what I, I am going through, I will look to someone like her and, and think, 
what's my excuse? <laughs> um, so yes, Jamie Whitmore. Look at her and say, what's my excuse? And now, Matt, you're going through your own ordeal and you have so much to lean on, your own expertise, family. You, you've got a rich mind and a rich mindset. I want to tap into that here and ask you this to close out. And this is something that I think will be really valuable for my audience. Give us a piece of advice. Give us something tangible that we can do, that we can change, that will make us better. I am going, I mean, there's more than one answer I could give to that question. Obviously it's, you know, life isn't simple. There, you know, there's more, more than one valuable piece of, of wisdom, uh, you know, that, that you need to live by. But one uh, that is salient uh, for me and I recommend to others is um, to think about, the, and I alluded to this earlier in our conversation, think about the person you want to be. Um, you know, just, you know, spend some time, sit with the idea of like, you know, what, what is the, you know, cause we're all unique. We're, we're not all on, you know, the, on a path toward one single definition of perfection, like the ultimate human being that we all need to be. No. Um, but each, each one of us, you know, despite our uniqueness, I think we're, we're all, you know, conceptually perfectible in our own way. Like there's, there's, you know, there's a best, there's a best version of you um, that, you know, as we, as we go along in life, if you, if, if you're reflective, if you're not a reflective person, well, you're just going to, you know, bumble, bumble along in a perpetual toddlerhood. Um, but if you are reflective and I'm, I know everyone, I know you are Sam and everyone listening to your podcast. Uh, I'll is, say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to a fault. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little too much. <laughs> but you know, like you know, if you're if you're someone who just thinks about like, uh, if you're someone who if you know you're not the best version of yourself today, then think about you can even journal about it. Um, you know, just like and I do this actually with some of the athletes I coach. Like, you know, what does it mean to compete as the best version of yourself? And and just like kind of have a vision of like where you want to go. Um, and then, you know, don't beat yourself over the head, you know, because you can't get there in an instant just because you have the vision doesn't mean you can just, you know, click your heels like Dorothy and Wizard of Oz and transport yourself uh, back to Kansas. Um, but like, it, it, it's, it's really helpful, you know, humans, athletes in particular, humans in general are very goal oriented. So if you if you just have that idea of like, this is, it, this is where I want to you know, I may never get there, but I, at least as long as I'm breathing, I want to be approaching this, this very clearly defined best version of myself. I find that very helpful. You know, then it gets down to the how, but that's why you need to invite me back for episode three. Episode three is the how. Episode four is TBD. Episode five is the whole changing genetics to make ourselves perfect, right? Yes. Genetic doping. Yeah, we'll get there. Genetic doping. <laughs> oh, the mental game is really going to change. It's really going to change. Hey, Matt, <laughs> this has been a great learning podcast for me to learn about your experience, to learn about nutrition, to learn about 
what you have been writing about and what you will write about. And as always, I appreciate you giving me a chance to tap into the fountain of knowledge you have. It's like you, you uncork it and you just blow up all this knowledge. <laughs> you take me in directions I didn't even think I would go. In. And frankly, I really appreciate that, Matt. Yeah, I always enjoy talking to you, Sam. Uh, so, yes, thank you for the opportunity. That is Matt Fitzgerald, author, speaker, coach, trainer, runner. Am I missing anything? Yes. Podcaster, husband. And do it all, man. Goes on. <laughs> Matt Fitzgerald, thank you very much, my friend. My pleasure. Hey, hey, Sam here back in the studio. Really appreciate Matt for an open and honest forum. That's what it feels like. It's a forum because his mind has so much in it, so much knowledge about so many things. And I told you at the beginning, I brought him back because I got one tenth of what I wanted to ask the first time. I think I got like another one tenth. So like we talked about on the show, I'm going to have to have him back and back and back and back. Matt Fitzgerald is someone who you can read more about at mattfitzgerald.org. Follow him on Twitter at mattfitwriter. That's Matt, F-I-T, writer. He's very fit. He's a great writer. He's a great runner, storyteller. And I really hope that next time we talk, he's feeling a lot better. So Matt Fitzgerald, thank you for joining. And you, out there, thanks for listening. Hopefully you subscribe too. If not, hit the subscribe button, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, Google. Share it with your friends. I really hope that if you take something from the mental game, someone else can. So listen, share, and just have a great day. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. Breathe. Treat yourself. And I'll talk to you next time. This has been Sam Brief. This is The Mental Game. And an adios from Chicago.